Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. One evening, when the kids were really little, on our playground outside, I noticed a dead bird by the slide. I despise dead things. I can't say this the right way to make you know how much I mean it. I think I might hate dead things the way that most people hate snakes. I don't so much mind snakes, unless they're dead. I'm sure there's some really deep-seated, highly pathological reason that I've blocked out or suppressed, whatever. In high school, I ran into a brick mailbox because I didn't want to run over a squirrel. That was already dead. It wasn't that I didn't want to rerun it over as much as it was that I needed to be further away from it, and the only place to go was our neighbor's brick mailbox. My dad was pleased. And speaking of my dad, it should be pointed out that until embarrassingly late in life, I believed, because my trusted parents told me, that all the animals on the side of the road were just sleeping. Yeah, Santa Claus a total fraud, but the raccoon, oh, just having sweet dreams, honey. Of course I blame them. It's my job. So, the bird by our slide. I saw it and immediately started rounding up the kids to go inside. My heart started to race a little because the kids weren't moving fast enough, and apparently the words panic attack didn't mean anything to them. Blaze was particularly heartbroken, and he was fervently looking for the little birdie's mom and dad so he could break to them the bad news. I finally got the kids inside by saying that the birdie was probably very, very sick, and we didn't want to catch his germs now, did we? I was desperate. I needed out of there, and it was either give my kids a little phobia of their own or have them watch me melt. It seemed like a wise and selfless choice at the time. The next morning, the bird was still there. When the kids went outside to play, I thought of the bird still out there, and I got lightheaded, and I went to go hide in my closet. When the kids came inside, Blaze looked at me with his wide eyes and asked what happened to our little bird. I shivered and said, I don't know. I can't talk about it. And then he said this, But Mommy, doesn't God love that bird? And I told them that that was very, very true. Yes, God loves that bird very much. And then he said, But Mommy, don't you love that bird? And I assured him that yes, I also really loved the bird. And then he said, And I'm not fibbing. Then Mommy, shouldn't we take care of that bird? Silence. He continued that we should give that bird a place to rest. He actually said those words, to rest. More silence. And then finally this, look, Blaze, I think it's really cute that God made you all wise and stuff, but I don't so much like dead things. And I think that if I just concentrate hard enough in prayer, that eventually our bird's birdie friends will give him the funeral he deserves, and maybe, miraculously, a cat will make him disappear, and then I will get to quit talking about this. Blaze stared at me hung his head, and said, okay. Dang it, dang it, dang it, fine, Blaze, let's go. He smiled and perked up and grabbed his little shovel. He looked like such a man with an important job to do. And then Millie wanted one too, so she got a sandcastle shovel, and together we picked a resting place and dug a hole. My first plan was to put the bird in the tampon box, but that was a better plan in theory than it was in practice. 
It required way too much handling and close-upness, so instead I just scooped up the dirt underneath the bird with my grown-up shovel and held him as far away from my body as I could. I tried to quit twice, promising Blaze that Daddy would take care of the whole thing when he got home. But Blaze encouraged me that it was just a little sick bird, Mommy, that God wanted us to take care of. That's all. It's just a little sick bird. And so I did it. We did it. We buried him. The kids insisted on naming him. We said a prayer. I asked Blaze to start it off, and he said, We wish you weren't dead, little bird. But sometimes things get dead. And that's not so bad. I couldn't think of a much better prayer than that one, so I finished it by saying that we hoped that the little birdie was doing all sorts of fun birdie things with Jesus, and that we appreciated the way he made our house happier with his song and his beauty. Then we tied two sticks together to make a cross and called it a day. I texted Seth immediately saying I wanted an award, a medal, and lots and lots of ice cream. Cattle ranchers in Australia with thousands and thousands of acres of land could never dream of fencing in all that land in order to keep their herd. It would just be impossible. So instead, what they do is they just dig really, really great watering holes that they know that the cattle will return to again and again. Blaze has proved to be difficult. <laughs> we see it more and more as his personality develops. And by difficult, I really just mean wildly independent and adventurous. We blame ourselves. We named him Blaze. When he was a toddler, he rode his big wheel down the stairs. What was funny about it was that as our best friends responded with the appropriate shock and awe, what Seth and I really wanted to know is how in the world he got his big wheel in the house and up the stairs at 20 months old. I mean, of course he rode it down the stairs, but how in the world did he get it up there? At about that time, we built a fence around our house to keep the little booger centralized and it occurred to me that we probably had about a year before he taught himself to scale it. The idea. The idea is that walls or firm boundaries will keep someone reined in, right? Except when they don't. Because the truth is that it doesn't work. People, especially if those people are named Blaze, they're going to always jump walls. They're going to always climb fences. So how in the world am I ever going to rein Blaze in? How in the world am I going to keep Blaze from ruining his life? I can't. Blaze is going to climb that wall. But you know what I can do? I can dig a few inviting and welcoming wells that run deep with God's love for him. So that when he climbs that fence, he will always know where to return when he is needy for things that are good and pure and life-giving. Blaze is going to get older. God help us. Blaze is going to assert his independence. God help us. He is going to take charge of his own life and swear that he knows better ways. And when he does, he is going to need mercy. It's critical, really. An open and loving relationship with Blaze is the well that will draw him home. It is beauty that will draw him home. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Jesus lived among us and took us places that captured our emotions and made us question our entire life and why we live it. Jesus wooed people to God with self-sacrifice. It was self-sacrifice that made very naughty people want to be holy. He dug deep, deep wells that people found beautiful, and they were irresistibly drawn to him. I bring this up because Jesus is teaching us how to woo people to living waters with the self-sacrifice of his way. Loving people 
the way that they want to be loved, getting out there and actually doing what God says. The wells we dig are full of respect and compassion towards others, loving them selflessly, involving ourselves in their lives, listening to them and letting them know that we are only good because God chose to love us and save us. We show our kids the beauty of Jesus, and then we allow that image to change them in whatever way God wants. Jesus' well was about relationship, our well. It's about relationship. I know I don't have teenagers yet. I know I know nothing. But we can all learn from our master teacher who gave himself away. I was proud of myself the day that we buried that little bird. I know the sacrifices will likely get bigger and bigger as my kids get older and older. But I was proud of myself for getting over myself enough to be there for my kid in the way that he wanted me to be there for him. I could have easily told him that daddy would just take care of it when he got home, but I wanted Blaze to see that I could do things that were hard for me, that I could do the right thing even if I really, really didn't want to, because sometimes that's the only thing life is about. I think that our whole bird situation that day could be wrapped up in one word, compassion, a deep, deep well of compassion. We all had an endless amount of compassion that day, and God was pleased. From the book of Psalms, when one falls down, her friend will help her up. These are my friends Liz and Janine. Separate, they are distinctive yin and yang, but together they are one of the most dynamic of duos. I love them for doing brave things while afraid, for being fierce but never harsh, and for loving so completely that we went from strangers to sisters in a couple of conversations. Hi, you two. Hello. Hi, Ellen. <laughs> this is so fun. I've been wanting to do this um, for a long time. I've had the topic in mind for a long time. There's no two better people um, to do it. We're going to talk about raising teenagers. But first, I want <laughs> we all just kind of like sighed a collective groan. But first, I want to tell listeners why I love the two of you so much. Janine, you and I met somewhat cosmically, not somewhat very cosmically um and it was just kind of through friends of friends we started following each other on social media which led to a two hour plus phone call and our affection was um intense and instant and lovely and then it's like well now we're going to be celebrating birthdays and holidays together and that's just what we do forever and ever and ever i love that it was i think i sent you a text that said something like we were made from the same kind of cosmic stardust or something and there was just something about you that was illuminating and i love it like and oh my gosh i could go on and on and on about you so i kind of hopped on an airplane went down and needed to give you a monkey hug in person and visit you <laughs> and hang out with you and that was really awesome. And then um, God was doing some crazy things in my heart. And for my 50th birthday, he kind of wove together this dream of putting these certain women um, in my life. And so off we went to a lake house. And that was really special. And you were one of those women. Yeah. And then, so at said lake house, I got yes. to meet your bestie, Liz. Liz, say hello really quick. Hi. Hello. We're just pushing between voices. I, I, it's not very often. I, in fact, I think this is the first time that I've done two people in an episode. So then I got to meet Liz, which, so Janine, you are 
you are fire, you are enthusiasm, you're brave and you're bold. And I, I love everything about you. It's so easy to link elbows with you and just like start skipping wildly into wherever the Holy Spirit leads. And so it was so much fun for me to meet other people who love you um, and know you differently. And Liz, who is your bestie and your work partner, your neighbor, your sister, just everything, y'all are completely linked. It was so fun to, to be in this lake house and to watch y'all interact and the reverence and respect and admiration that y'all have for each other while being so different was absolutely a glimpse of heaven for me. Liz, you, and then, and then to appreciate it in my own self, you know, so, so I meet Liz and everything that you've been telling me about Liz, I'm experiencing my own self. And I, I, I don't know if you, I mean, you'll remember when, when I tell you, but we were sitting on the deck there were, the sun was shining. We're all kind of in our private spaces. Like we were reading. I mean, that's how relaxing the weekend was, is that we just, we kind of even went, had time to go to our corners, but I crawled up next to Liz and was like, something's heavy on my heart. Can I tell you about it? I just, I so wanted to know how you were going to speak into that. So Liz, there's just a stability to you and, um, wisdom that you are just, you are such a grounding person. And, and by the way, that does not come at the cost of being fun. You are wildly fun. <laughs> I feel like a lot of times it's like, oh great, I get to be the responsible one. And it's so, and so that's, that's not the case. That's not the full picture. But anyway, the two of you together are just a marvel. Um, and I'm so happy to know you both. You're doing amazing things for the kingdom. Your friendship is a beautiful display of exactly what God had in mind when he asks us to be a body. And I love you both so much. Aww. I mean, isn't it what we just really want is like when you love somebody so much, and you meet somebody else and you really love them so much, you just really want, like, you want them to love the person as much as you do. And that Absolutely. happened on that lake house. And I remember the lake house of, oh my gosh, that, that Allison's coming who Janine stalked on social media <laughs> and they have a love affair. And I used to joke before I even met you, I was like, oh, your new bestie, you mean your new bestie? Like uh -huh. the 14 year old girl in me was like, of course, I can't wait to meet her. You know, yeah, she sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> sounds perfect. Perfect for you. Oh, and then I liked you a lot. And I was like, damn. <laughs> so, and I didn't feel threatened. I felt safe. And I felt valued and loved and seen and, you know, and all those wonderful qualities that you bring to a relationship. And so all my little 14 year old girl insecurities got swept right out the door. Yay. Good. Yes. Um, okay. So girls, listen, <laughs> kids push us to our farthest edges and then they just bring us right back in and then they push us to our farthest edges and then they just bring us right back in. And it is a, a, a constant battle of handling that well. The extremes, right? The extreme of emotion. We've never cared for anything so fiercely. And the thing about teenagers, as opposed to, I'm in a sweet spot right now. I was just talking about this on the last episode. Yeah. And so, yeah. So y'all are, you're like, y'all are nodding. Yes, you are. But the thing with teenagers is that they can defy you. They can ignore you. They can hurt your feelings. They can close you out. They can close you off. And I am telling you, I have got some serious karma coming my way. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about, about teenagers real quick. And let's just dive in. I know that y'all, y'all not only 
you know, have raised wonderful teenagers that are thriving, but you're also working with teenagers. So let's just dive right in. I've asked both of y'all for just pieces of advice. Like, let's get really practical. Janine, what you got? Okay. So I was talking to my husband about this and I said, Hey, you know, Allison invited Liz and I on, we're going to talk about, you know, raising teens. Um, and I said, what, what should I talk about? <laughs> like what advice? And one of the first things he said, which I actually, we laughed, we joked about it. And then Liz and I, we've talked about this, but there is some great truth. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I think we have this, um, I think sometimes we have this image or we think it's supposed to look like something. And often that is just not how, that's just not how it's going to go. And I mean, we've walked with parents um, who are amazing and it's not a judgment thing, but you're kind of like, you're following like this recipe of what you think you're supposed to be doing in order to get your kids through the teenage years happy, healthy, holy, and you're kind of going through the checklist. And then all of a sudden your kid takes a radical left turn and you're like, what the heck? And I thought I was doing everything. And so like, um, there's a bunch of things I wrote down. You would said like brainstorm three things. And I really kind of came up with 10 <laughs> that will you know, we'll speak into that. But I just think first and foremost, we need to just let go of any expectation Hmm. as parents of how we think it's going to turn out because you will be disappointed. <laughs> like they're kids, they're humans they're, And so it's, you could have the best intention and be doing everything that's totally by the book and have your teenager completely go down a road you just didn't see coming. And it doesn't define you as a parent. It That's doesn't good. mean you're not a good... I'd say one of the most important things that you can start talking about, I know we're saying teenagers, but I really think what we've learned over the years in ministry and as parents is the formation of their identity, um, where they're getting their value from, where they're getting their worth from. And so in this crazy, we live in a very overachieving um, culture in our town where we are and there's enormous pressure on parents to compete with each other and they take they compete through their kids successes or failures so kind of touching a little bit on what Janine said but also that your kid you know I used to whisper in my kids ears at night when I would pray over them I would say like and remember you're not a basketball player mm. you're, you're a beloved daughter or son of God who plays basketball yes thing that you do it's not who you are yeah and someday you may not play basketball like those are all things that end you know they're things that have a timeline and they they ebb and flow you know you could be having a good season or a bad season but it's not who you are at the core of your heart at the core of your heart you are made in the image and likeness of god you're an image bearer you are beloved like you are eternal. Your soul will live forever. You know, you're meant to be in relationship with him and all these other things that you do or accomplish are great, you know, and even if your kid has a great identity and it's rooted in Christ, they're still going to, it's still going to be challenging if they lose like an activity that they love or they fail a class and they thought they were going to be this major, you know, or they don't do well on those, you know, God forsaken standardized test scores, you know, but you have to 
keep returning them to what doesn't change. Right. And we were made to worship because we were made to worship. If God isn't in the center, something will be. Something will be. Something else will take its place. So there's a million things waiting in line to take place at the center. Right, right. And with the culture that's always telling us to achieve and ascend and accomplish. Oh, yeah. You know, it's really easy for that to happen. But to live counterculturally, which is exactly what we're called to, you know, it might mean, you know, a constant reordering, a constant evaluation of that reordering. And Janine, as far as what you were saying, I can read all the articles, I can read all the books, I can I can do all the steps. And I'm relating to this as even a parent of littles. And you saying that it's a crapshoot, I've said that before, but it was in regard to the nature versus nurture argument. I feel like so much of their personalities are in place you know, and, and we're in place very early on. And so I can't believe that the nature versus nurture thing was ever this hot debate. I mean, I'm not saying that, that what I do has no um, effects or anything. It obviously does, but I, I feel like so much of, of who they are is already there and can already be seen. I remember, um, when my first child was born and just as an infant trying to get her in a car seat and how hard it was because she was so strong-willed as an infant. That has not changed at 17. Right. And so, but I can remember thinking to myself, I thought I was going to have so much more control over yes. what my children were going to be like, what their personality would be exactly, like. Exactly, yes. I really started to go exactly where you're saying of, okay, and Janine says this all the time, has this great visualization of, I, so really as a parent, I'm, a, I'm guardrails. Like Janine came up with that expression and I love that expression of I'm not steering as much as I thought I was going to steer before I had children. And then I learned like, okay, really my job is guardrails and I'm, I'm really just on the sides, like trying to keep them on the good path. But in the end it's in there. It's really good. That's good. This is specific, but, um, you know, it also comes down to, you think that they're going to value what you value. So I've, so for me and just my personality, who God made me, I value bravery. And so I, my firstborn is very cautious by nature. And so like, this is just not how I thought this was going to go. You know, the kid that was, you know, a little nervous about being on the water slide or whatever. There, there are definitely surprises. And so I have some, some very well-behaved, docile, older children now, I hold that loosely because also, like you said, Janine, that does not mean that they are not going to turn 15 and lose their minds for a moment. So I hold this good behavior very loosely, too. It's all about staying humble in parenting, is it not? <laughs> yes. And, and yeah, and that their choices and their decisions don't define you as a parent. Yeah. And that is like those are just lessons that you just have to say over and over and over again to yourself because otherwise if we're not careful then our worth like Liz was saying if my identity is wrapped up into um, my role as a mother and my kids aren't necessarily behaving or making the choices I had hoped and it's it's very quickly I think for us as women if that's where our identity lies to then begin to feel like we have somehow failed and then we just ourselves start to spiral. So like it actually, that whole identity piece of being God's beloved holds true for us as well. As, as a parent too. Right. First and foremost, the hardest part of parenting 
was watching my kids use their free will. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Sure. God is like enthusiastically nodding right now. He's like, tell me about it. (laughs) The very first time my oldest ever really used his free will was to date this girl that I was crawling out of my skin. Right. And you're Liz, you remember, I mean, you remember like what was in the backpack. I know it was, and you're watching this going, Oh my gosh, well, how are you making this decision? Like, where are all the standards we've talked about? Where is, you know, the, and it just didn't matter. And so you have to, he was using his free will. And, and that was like the start when he was, I think, 15, you know, like the first girl he kind of was interested in. And I thought, oh, wow, that gift of free will, it, it is, um, it is heart wrenching. And now it makes sense. Now I understand why God has created us that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. It is, it has been the most painful part of my parenting experience so far. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that, Liz, on free will? I think um, I've had to learn to accept kind of what I said before that like I don't have as much control as I originally thought I would before I have children and to be at peace with watching the struggles um and you know all the bad I have to remember that when I was a a kid or a teenager young adult and I made bad decisions it wasn't my parents fault that I did that and I made and I made plenty I had good parents who taught me right from wrong, who raised me in the church, who loved me unconditionally, and I still made bad yeah. choices. Yeah. I have to remember that. Like, just, you know, Janine and I often look at each other and be like, why did we think that our kids were going to avert all the pitfalls just because we're in youth ministry? <laughs> wow. When really it's probably sometimes going to be the opposite sometimes because, you know, the kids, right, are the ones that rebel the hardest. But I just think that um, it's part of the journey and we need to stop looking at them using their will for good or bad as like defining us as parents or defining them as human beings. You know, like I still love that quote by St. Pope John Paul II. That's like, you are not the sum of your greatest weaknesses and failures. You are the sum of the father's love for you. And we have to parent that way. Yeah. You know, the thing about idolatry is that it's sneaky. I mean, you know, no well-intentioned, good, you know, well-intentioned Christian is going to be, you know, following neon blinking signs towards death and destruction. I mean, it has to be subtle, right? So idolatry are usually things that are good. So why is me not wanting to raise God-loving, wonderful children how could that possibly be an idol? So I am not just a perfect parent. I am a daughter of the Lord. So much of parenting, good parenting, healthy parenting is good boundaries and realizing I am not you. You are not me. We all belong to him. This is separate. And when you start defining yourself by the actions of your kids or the inactions of your kids, let's not forget that there's an enemy prowling. It has very little to do with what I may have said or not said. I mean, the world is going to have its way with our kids in one way or another. Don't parent the teen you were, but parent the teen who's standing in front of you. Oh gosh, that's a dagger through my heart, especially today. Oh my god! I know. I had to say it. Wait, hold on. Y'all elaborate. Why is that landing so hard? 
all of your past, your past teenage baggage, dysfunction, hurts, fear, we cannot project onto our kids and then parent from that place. I hate you so much. <laughs> I love you. Uh, Liz, you're going to need to tell the kind listeners what's going on over there. <laughs> I have, I, well, I just have a situation right now where my, one of my children has been incredibly bold and brave, but without any thought to the repercussions that come afterwards, because quite frankly, she is stronger and braver than me in many ways. Um, but I also worry sometimes because there's not necessarily a thinking through of all the repercussions there's just a, a very much of I believe this is right and I believe this is wrong and I'm going to fight like crazy for what I believe to be right mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that she still shouldn't have done what she did but there wasn't a consulting or a thinking through just being an aware of what might follow you know what I mean? Like a sitting down and saying, okay, what are the pros and cons? Now, I was just not a wave maker when I was right. younger. Right. You I, value peace. I, was, I, I still value peace, but sure. I, um, I will fight for what's right. But I was much more concerned about what people thought of me as a teenager, and mm -hmm. I would do nothing to disturb that. Right, 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 right. So, um, she does not possess that trait. So yeah. when she makes decisions like that, the, the 16, 17 year old girl in me wants to crawl under the bed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're having that situation today in our home. And it's so easy for us to project our teenage woundedness on yeah. them where it may not even be an issue for them. They may not even be thinking about that. But you're like, well, I would have been really hurt if that happened to me. Well, it didn't. And look how freaking awesome. And how great it should be that you raised a kid who that doesn't bother. And so like catching yourself before that comes out of your mouth. And then they do start to think, wait, should I be sad? Should I feel left out? Because I was feeling great. What I hear y'all saying, you know, Brene Brown has this exercise where she makes you pick, I think only two. Um, and they're values. They're things that you, um, you know, live out your life as important. So, um, and there, and it's just a bunch of, so like maybe, um, honesty, uh, faith, family, bravery, courage, um, peace, prudence. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a ton of them, but you start, you circle, like maybe you'll circle 10 and then you cross them off and you really need to get to two, but we're all made a certain way. Like God crafted us, our personalities. And so my guess is that your daughter, Liz, she values bravery, you know, she, or justice or what, I, I mean, I don't know what the specifics are, but, and then you have this whole separate being of a person who just values something different. So what I hear y'all saying is we need to appreciate the way that God made us encourage one another in whether it's seeking peace or seeking justice, encourage one, or, one another in that because the world needs it all. Amen. That would be a great summation. I see this. I do this a lot. And Liz and I are really humbled and blessed to walk with a lot of parents. And we see parents who do this as well. It kind of goes back to, it, it kind of goes back to everything we've been talking about, which is um, especially in the teenage and young adult years is parenting from fear and not faith. Mm, that's and good. 
we, that is, when we start to parent from fear, we start grasping, you know, and we're not able to really kind of go in with those, oh, we can't receive. And we, we are grasping, we are trying to fix, we, and oftentimes what happens is we end up pushing this pendulum so far over and we, we lose any, like, slice of control we even thought we had is gone and we can end up making some parenting decisions that will either harm our teenager harm the relationship between us and our teenager um, or harm the relationship between you and your spouse as well it is that also requires us if we are going to then not parent from fear that means our own faith life has to be um so deeply our interior life we have to really be nurturing that and paying attention to it and seeking that for ourselves first and foremost before we can ever do anything so like waking up the best way the the next best thing to holiness is faking holiness so like (laughs) okay so i know how it's supposed to look you know i can go through the motions of how it should look but if it's not really there if you're not really nurturing this this interior life like you're saying that it doesn't do any good there's no fruit (laughs) i mean it's so true and i you know when we had, um, my, my oldest, when he went to college really struggled and that like, I would love eventually to do some a podcast on that, of that transition from high school mm. to college. Oh. It is, nobody is talking about it. Yeah. And it is really, really hard for everybody, all people involved, but he went and he really struggled. And I, it would have been really easy for me to parent out of fear. And I am so grateful that my husband and I at that time were really grounded in God and in the word and were able to make some really hard decisions that, were, that weren't fear-based and they were faith-based. Mm-hmm. And it was a big difference. I think it, it was a huge difference on, on how the whole thing played out, really, with, with his safety, with his decision-making, all of it. And I will say we ended up bringing, he came back home for a semester and there is no shame in that. So if you are a parent of young adults right now, it is not a failure of anybody's part if they have to come home for a semester from college and, and recalibrate. Yeah. In the middle of that, you probably can't see the other side of it. You probably can't, you know, you're probably caught up with the war right in front of your face and you're like, oh gosh, and this is how it ends. The pressure that I think we see everybody going through is everybody goes to college after high school and everybody is not ready for college at the same time. And there's a lot of pride. Sure. Among parents, the competition that happens among parents on their Facebook pages in their Christmas card letters. Because again, they're a reflection of you instead of their own being. Do you have any good advice about Janine mentioned quickly talking about um, a good relationship between the two of you? Do you have any advice about keeping just a good, friendly, respectful relationship between you and a teen? Uh, I think a relationship that's often so broody and silent and angsty. I know. I've been honestly really fortunate that my my kids have not been that broody, angry teenager. but I think uh, some advice I would say is make family time. Uh, try to have family time where you're not always, everybody's not always bringing a friend on vacation, but like mm-hmm. we're actually really just your family uh-huh. well, as long as you can. Eventually that's going to change. Janine's in that season where she has 
you know, significant others coming on vacation. I will not like that. Let me just say for the record. So yeah, yeah, that's a transition. But I think it's really important to have just you guys. I find the dynamic conversations that can happen when you're away from the stress of home and you can even get them off their phones on vacation because you're out doing things is really um, invaluable. And um, I crave it. I long for it. And whenever we get it, I just relish it. And I think this this is so important. I think I forget how important it is to have just my immediate, my kids, my husband and I, just us. Um, well, with the chaotic schedule and a hectic pace, it's like when you are together as a family, it's usually to accomplish something or to get somewhere. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe, I don't know if that's just my season. So to have, you know, um, prescribed time, that's yeah. just fun. That's yeah. no demands right now. Just, just fun or, you know, and I think that's really important. I think being committed to being honest with your kids. Um, and sometimes that's hard and painful and, um, and to be able to receive it, to be able to create a space where your, where your kids can be honest with you about maybe their needs and desires that you're not quite meeting sometimes. Right. Right. Um, I feel like you're never home, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, when you're home, you're not really here. You know, those that we hear teenagers tell us like where our parents aren't, you know, paying attention to us and they're always on their phones or their computers when they're home, you know, but just creating space, I think, where everybody can be honest with one another, even if it hurts. Yeah. One thing that's been good for me in the stage that I'm in, and I would imagine um, would be important later too, is Seth and I made a commitment to apologize to our kids to really model that. Now it was selfish in, in its origins because we wanted our kids to be able to apologize to us and to one another. So, so we did it to model. Um, but it has been, first of all, I'm not a good apologizer, um, just by nature. And instead of saying that's the way God made me, he made me not a good apologizer. We're just going to go with it. (laughs) Um, I've decided to work on it and there's no better audience for a risk-free apology than children. And it's, it's been a neat, like growing experience for me to, to just try it out and then get better at it with, you know, maybe a riskier audience, like a peer, um, or a spouse or a parent. Um, so anyways, but apologizing is such, um, it's such a softening experience for all involved. And so, uh, our, our family, I feel like there's a tender quality to, um, our time, to our relationship and to our time together that I think apologizing has nurtured. That's a huge one. That's so big. That's a great, that's a great one. It literally just happened in our house. My middle son and I really got into it and I did not waste any time. And I went up immediately and said, I'm so sorry. And it's just incredible how quickly it diffuses everything. Yeah. It just recalibrates. Yeah. It just really does. Yeah. And I love what you said. I think that's huge. It's huge being able to apologize to your kids and just, and get everybody back to kind of ground zero, which is we love each other. Yeah. Well, now I'm in, so again, my, most of my friends have little kids and I was saying offhandedly, it wasn't the point of my story, but I was like, yeah, so I apologized because, and she goes, oh no, 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 no. Show no weakness. You know? And she was kind of kidding, but she kind of wasn't. Um, because I, I feel like in the, in the time of little kids, it's, there's like battles, you know, it's like, you got to, stay resilient, you know? And so, so she was joking by saying, no, show no weakness. And I was like, I'm going to choose another way. And it feels 
harder but better. This is not my original idea. I don't know where I got it. It was from a podcast years and years and years ago where they talked about the stages of parenting, which is you start off as cop, then you go to coach, then you move to consultant, and then to collaborator. And so I think she's right. In those years when you are cop and coach, there's probably not a whole lot of apologizing, Interesting. nor should there be, because you, that is your role. But when you transition as a parent into the role of collaborator and eventually consultant, then that is where that, that mutual respect and apologizing goes a long way. So I think it's, it's being um, really insightful and aware of what stage of parenting you are in and parenting from that stage. So we've seen those parents who are like trying to be consultants with their kids when they really should be a cop. Like right. you need to be putting down some law and some, some rules. And then we've also seen parents who should be consultants when they're in their early 20s and they're still trying to be the cop. Oh, that's so good. That's really, really great. Know the stage of parenting you're in. Know your role. Know, you know, know what is going to be healthy and good for the child and then, and do that. I would say that right now I'm in a stage where I'm kind of, you know, vacillating between cop, coach, consultant a little bit, you, you know, a little bit throughout the day, but there is wisdom and discernment in knowing which moment calls for what. Yeah. So like, I'm really good in the stage where I really suck is the transition of, you know what I mean? Of, and that gets really muddy the older they get. So you're like, am I coaching or am I collaborating? I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. That's good. And so those transitions are, I, I have found for me personally, those transitions are when I grow spiritually. It is when I have to really lean into God. Um, and then once I'm settled into the stage, I'm like, okay, we're a consultant. I, I can do that. I know my role. It also helps that my kids are somewhat staged close together. So I think there has to be a lot of love and um, I'll be sending you good care packages, Allison, because I think it gets really tricky as a parent when you have a kid in all of the stages. Uh, that's got to be crazy hard. Yeah, that is, that's an interesting thought that I've never given myself grace for before. So thank you. You're welcome. Ladies, what are the essentials? What are the essentials to doing this well? What are the things that we, that we just have to have in place? Janine, you mentioned earlier, you know, a good interior prayer life, uh, you know, a building of faith. Um, we've talked about apologizing. We've talked about a lack of control and a little bit of release and appreciating who God made them to be. What are some other essentials? I think a big one that I have really learned, especially um, this last year. Um, so first of all, the importance of sisterhood, right? Of friendship, of women to walk with you as you're going through those stages that we just talked about, the, the cop, the coach, the, the consultant, and the collaborator. And one of the things I've found is as I go through those stages, I have watched my peers also go through those stages. And I've noticed as women, we go through it radically differently as we should. So like, I'm going to give you an example. So the analogy I use is 
you're reading a really good book, right? Some of us turn the pages, we marinate in the page, we turn the page, we marinate, and then we get to the end of the chapter. And some of us are like, oh, it's the end of the chapter. I love that chapter. That is such a good chapter. And we're anxious and we're excited, kind of, for the next chapter, but we turn the page kind of slowly. And for some of us, we're crying the whole time that we're turning the page. And then you get into the next chapter and you're like, oh, this chapter is even better than the last chapter. Okay, that's one example. There are some women who are like, read, 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 read. This is great. This is great. This is great. And they turn the page. They're like, oh, great. Chapter's done. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get to the next chapter. They turn the page really fast with no emotion and hop right in. Then there are some people who turn the page and then they want to turn it back. And then they want to turn it back. Wow. And then they want to turn it back. And they go back and forth. And here's what I found out. I love your brain. It, go ahead. This is great. It doesn't matter how you read the book. It doesn't matter how you're turning the pages, right? And each one of us is going to process and turn the page and we may weep or we may rejoice. I think the secret is, is just knowing A, how you read the book and do it your way. And don't worry about how you know, how your sister down the road is reading her book and turning her pages and then don't judge. So if I'm skipping along, right, and I'm to the next chapter and I look at Liz and I'm like, what's the problem? Why can't you just turn your damn page? Yeah. Like just turn the page. And she's like, I'm trying, but mm -hmm. I really love this chapter. That to me is parenting. That is parenting teens. That is getting them from the littles to the bigs and celebrating one another as women, right? And looking at and being there and saying, oh, girl, Allison, I can't relate, but I'm going to cry with you because you're crying and I'm, I'm going to stand in that page with you and I'm going to cry because you're crying because I love you. Mm -hmm. And then I would hope that you're going to say, well, I'm going to celebrate with you because you're really good at just turning the pages quickly. And, and that's really, that's what we need to be doing. I am like fist pumping over here. I have full body chills, like yes and amen. I love it all. Liz, I need to know what kind of book reader you are. <laughs> what kind of book reader are you? How do you turn the pages? Oh, I, there are some, I think there are some chapters that I couldn't wait to turn the page, honestly. Yeah. And I'm yeah. A speed reader. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get past this season. Did um, you say you were a speed reader? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> and then I think there are other chapters that are harder for me to turn the page. And I have not yet done the, the, the high school to college launch. And I'm not. Uh, I told Janine the other day, I said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be one of those back and forth page turners, but I don't know. I haven't walked that yet, but um, I really, you know, I don't know, but I definitely think it depends on what the chapter, the last chapter was and what the next chapter is. I think that can sure. change my rate, my pace, my, my feeling about that. I love the permission. I love what I hear, you know, you describing Janine is a lot of permission to feel your feelings. Yeah. Like, let's feel our feelings and let's find God there, whatever they are. If it's joyous, if it's terrible, there's a lot of freedom in that. And God is about freedom. And then find those women who are going to do that with you. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, you know? we're hard on each other. Women. Mm -hmm. 
We're mm-hmm. very hard on each other. Especially when it comes to something we hold as dear and define ourselves as much as how we parent. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I love the people that y'all are raising. I love the people that y'all are discipling. You make this world a holier place with the young people that you put out into the world. Thank you so much um, for the ways that y'all sacrifice and give and model and lead. Um, before we sign off, I insist that you tell the listeners all about what you're doing with filmmaking. Start from the beginning. Don't skip a thing. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. So um, I was working as a high school youth minister at my parish and was noticing a trend, lots of trends among the young girls that I was walking with as they grew into high school, college, young adult. And then also in a lot of my adult female relationships with a lot of similar themes of struggles that, that women were going through, girls were going through, and just not, no space at church to talk about those issues. And so I started really feeling a tug on my heart of, I really want to create space for these kinds of conversations with, among girls at church. If we could kind of work with them in high school, it might save them some of the pains that I am seeing in even my peers. And so, you know, what would it look like if we brought those issues kind of out of the, out of the corners and onto the table and had healthy conversations and invited Christ into those conversations about those topics. You know, it gave girls permission to talk about body image and um, the importance of good friends. And, you know, we kind of created a retreat to go around this programming subject. So we're friends with Father Dave Pavanka and he was filming the Wild Goose series and he asked if he could interview us for the film series. Now we didn't know that it was going to be what it was. We thought somebody was going to show up with like a handheld video camera, you know. We would have done our hair and makeup differently. I mean, seriously. And it was a priest. Like, he totally hung us out to dry. We yeah. look like crap in the film. <laughs> I would have worn a different outfit for sure. But um, so we, they came and in roles like, you know, um, 4 p.m. media with their awesome people and phenomenal equipment. Like yeah, it was a legit film crew and they came in and they um, interviewed us. And while they were interviewing us, Janine said, do you think maybe we should talk to them about making a film for our girls retreat? And my immediate response was absolutely not. That is just a ridiculous idea. Like we don't, we're not filmmakers. We're I pushed her out of the way, grabbed her by the hand and marched her into the room and said, I think we're supposed to make a film with you. And they said, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's <laughs> how that happened. Oh my gosh. And your eyes are like saucers and Janine's like, ignore her. Listen yeah. To me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we're moms. We're youth ministers. Like we're not filmmakers and we have no money. Like, what are you talking? How is this going to happen? So we pitched the idea. They loved it. They went back to Alabama and then um, they would kind of email us every few months. So what are you girls thinking? You know, we're trying to plan our calendar for the year. And we would, we would reply back with, we're praying about it. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to discern. And, but really we just, we're looking at each other like how, what does that even mean? Really in a nutshell, Liz and I have created um, two documentary films, one on the struggles that our young women are facing growing up in today's world. And 
hopefully coming out at the beginning of 2020 is going to be the documentary film for young men and what it means, um, just really what does it mean to be a man in masculinity. And wow, if we thought the girls film was hard to make, that film really kicked our ass. It was really, really difficult. Um, but that should be coming out. And so basically both films are just they were created for parents, youth ministers, coaches, anybody who is walking with a teen or going to have a teen or knows a teen, which is just about everybody. And it really gives you the space and the permission to open the door to some of these hard conversations. Yes, really. Um, no answers in the film. So don't, don't think the documentary is going to like answer all of the world problems. It's not, it's just simply going to give you a platform to leap off of to be able to have some pretty courageous conversations with your kids. There is a disinfecting quality to the light and that's what it does. It opens the door and lets the light in. So I am so grateful for the work that y'all are doing. I am, I can't imagine who would be a bigger fan than me with this like explosive emotion that I am experiencing in my heart around you two and what you're doing. But I am just rooting for y'all, championing y'all. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for your friendship. It's such an honor to walk beside you. And if people want to follow us, it's um, Project Light Ministries. So that's how you will actually find us is www.projectlightministries.com. And you can reach Liz and I there. Awesome. Um, I'm so grateful for y'all. I love you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Love you too, girls. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. <laughs> Hi, Beef and <laughs> Hi! <laughs> we're in person! Yay! <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I'm not. <laughs> okay, so this is an episode about teenagers, and I've been, I've been, as I've been kind of processing this episode, it has occurred to me. I feel like women have each other for the newborn phase. You know, there's mommy groups, and then you have each other through the infant phase. And you have each other through the toddler phase, and I don't see any women mother support group for people with teenagers do we really want that yes what do you mean i mean sometimes i like to just sit in a room by myself and think i'm doing a bang up job without <laughs> hearing other people's opinions <laughs> and i don't even have a teenager yet yeah those things did maybe produce like a vague shame yeah yeah <laughs> um did you what kind of I mean, I'm, I'm asking for the listeners because right. I know exactly what kind of teenager you were. <laughs> were yeah. you easy to raise, Beefy? That's a really hard question to ask. <laughs> well, I, I just threw a party once that got out of hand really quick. But here's why it wasn't my fault. You know how during finals they let you out in the middle of the day? Yeah. Well, I had told like four girls that they could come watch Days of Our Lives or whatever. Yeah. So then... Chad Gordon is rolling a keg up my driveway. Ah, listen to what I did though. I'm still impressed with myself. So I called my dad and I said, dad, I'm in over my head because I thought some girls were going to come over and see what finally happens to Hope and Bo. 
but <laughs> there's a keg being rolled up the driveway right now. And he was like, all right, collect everybody's keys. So I call my dad, right, to ask for advice about what to do. Except in the meantime, the cops showed up. And so they knocked at my door and it was cold. And so they wanted to come inside. They asked me to go get ID. And when I came back, they were standing in my living room. And he said, do you have a keg in the back? And I said, what's the right answer to that question? Because I was like, you said that? Yeah. That's pretty good. You yeah. Well. And anyway, long story short, I was in handcuffs and you can't, when you start crying in handcuffs, you can't wipe your face. And I had mascara. I really like my mascara. Oh my God. <laughs> it was all down the front of me. P.S. I forgot to mention the cops were on bikes. <laughs> okay. So they're on bikes. They write me a ticket. Cause they were like, we can either give you an MI or we can either give you a ticket for contributing to minors. So we can give all your friends MIPs. I'm like, well, let's not commit social suicide today. So I'll take the ticket. And so everything, so the, the kegs emptied. I have my ticket. I, they're letting me out of my handcuffs. They're going to leave and their bikes are gone. Oh, I remember that now. Oh my gosh. The bikes are gone. One of my friends thought that it would be really funny to steal the cops' bikes and put them in the elementary bike rack, which was about a couple of blocks away. That is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, so they call for backup because they are flipping out. This is like stealing a cop car. It's the same thing. Oh. So they call for backup. There's five cop cars surrounding my house. My mom pulls up. She thought we were going to go to the mall after school. I mean, it was a disaster. My stomach just flipped right when you said your mom <laughs> drove up like we're still 14. Yeah. So, anyways, that was so kind of my, good. that was my teenage doozy. But you called your dad first. I you know. That's major. That's an easy kid to raise. That's <sighs> what I hope for. I did not call my parents beforehand. I did have a lot of parties when they were out of town. Did you uh, get caught? Yeah, the closest that I can recall getting caught was there's also always like a very like serious cleanup situation. That oh, sure. At the end of the parties or maybe the next morning. I can't remember. So everything was cleaned up. Everything was good. Parents came home. All good. Two days later, stepdad goes to put laundry in dryer and dryer has a uh, cardboard beer container in the dryer and so I'm in the kitchen he pulls out a beer cardboard box from the dryer and says what is this and I say I don't know maybe one of your friends put it there because <laughs> that's like as one does right and so he gives me this look like I'm on to you, and I give him this look like, please, 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 please let this moment pass. And he did, and we have never spoken of it again. Oh, that's a great stepdad right there. That is. I need to thank him for that. Yeah. You know, I think with teenagers is that you get this false idea that you're done. Like, because they can wipe themselves, because they can hydrate themselves, you know, you've reached a lot of milestones. So you're like, oh, we're good here. And then these things happen. You're not, like, there's not the physical toil of little kids, but there is an emotional and mental toil. It's like, oh, this person who I birthed just insulted me in a way that it actually really taps into a lot of my insecurities. Right, and we're going to go back to never sleeping again when they're gone or when they're out. Right, right, right. I used to get grounded when I was three minutes late from coming home because my mom would stay awake and stare at the clock. So, of course, that taught me to just 
change the time on all the clocks before I went out <laughs> so that I could achieve an extra five minutes in the night. <laughs> Kids don't take notes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what is something that you would um, do differently than your parents uh, and these teenagers? The first thing that comes to mind is just in an effort to help me wait for marriage, um, there was just a lot of... To have sex. Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> To have to do the deed, if you will. Um, I will. There was just a lot of negative talk about it. About you don't want to do that. That's all boys want. You need to be careful. Um, and just a really negative connotation around anything right. sexual. Yeah. And unfortunately, even um, despite what I know is the best of intentions, it um, put some shame or guilt or just negativity around sex, even when it was um, the right time for it in my adult life. This was the listener question, by the way. It was, what would you do differently than your parents? Um, I had, we both have really great parents and um, there's a lot to celebrate. I think what I would do differently is I would try to, and you know, I was, you know, more than half grown. I mean, I definitely contributed to this, but my mom and I would fight. And I think that it was really scarring for both of us because to this day, I can like flip out if, oh my gosh, I think my mom's mad at me. And she can too. Like, I don't want Allison to be mad at me. And so I think we really harmed one another and we like get triggered. Okay, so if we form the teenager mom support group, I'm going to try to keep you from yelling at kids (laughs) and you try to keep me from telling them that sex is the worst thing ever. (laughs) All right. I like it. It's a plan. Sounds like a plan. Love you, Beef. Love you. Bye. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically, I've never met Mary. You see, we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. We have three children who are in their 20s and two who are still preteens. When the oldest were going through their teens, we learned lots of new things. For instance, when I was teaching one of them to drive, I learned that it's possible for my knees to sweat when I feared for my life. But one of the most important things I learned was that above all, teens value authenticity. It wasn't enough to tell them to eat properly. They needed to see me reaching for fruits or nuts instead of chocolate. It wasn't enough to say, don't walk alone at night. They had to see me taking safety precautions seriously. And it was no longer enough to tell them to go to church and believe in God. I had to show them by going myself and by letting them see my relationship with God on a regular basis. In my experience, teens learn a lot more from what they see than from what they hear. As my teens were developing their own senses of self, I learned an awful lot about who I am in the process. Fortunately, that authenticity also extends to mistakes. They didn't mind seeing me make them, even parenting mistakes as long as I fessed up and apologized. All to Jesus I Dear God, we come to you today to pray for the teenagers in our lives, to pray prayers for them that they might not be praying for themselves. We lift up everyday concerns such as safety and exams and healthy friendships. These young people are gifts from you, God and they belong to you. So we lift them up, remembering first that they are yours. Lord, we pray for unity in our families as these young people in our lives seek healthy independence. Despite differences or distance, Jesus, unite us. 
Help them, God, to order their lives so that you are in the center. Keep them from all evil and fill them with joy. Lord, we also come to you to lift up parents as they pour themselves out for these young people. There are things that we want for our families and for ourselves, for our children, and our many desires, our perfect plans, they can bring anxiety. But God, you are aware of them all. And your word says that when we put you first, you will take care of everything else. According to what you know is best for all of us. You loved our babies before we did. You love them infinitely more than we do. We can trust you with their lives. And we ask the strength of your Holy Spirit to help us lead them to your loving arms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And for this episode, a special thank you to Janine McGann and Liz Sams. You can catch up with them at projectlightministries.com. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Thank you to Kristen Kelly and Mary Bishop. For more of Mary's writing, head to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Center Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe and tune in next week.